0: Hello, this is Lynn. Welcome to the Didcot, Abingdon and Wantage talking newspaper Dawn, recorded on Wednesday 21st of February 2024. You'll hear a number of news items from local sources as usual, and you'll be able to listen to extra items from the RNIB magazine service at the end. I am the editor. Our readers this week are Nadine, Rob, Veronica and Ruth. Our technician is Ken and Karen and Lauren are in the office. We start with a story about cuts to local radio.
1: Hello, this is Ruth. BBC local radio cuts hit visually impaired harder. Cuts to local radio services have been a catastrophe for visually impaired people, a national campaign group has warned. It comes as the number of blind and partially blind people registered in Oxfordshire has been revealed with the Royal National Institute of Blind People, RNIB, warning the true number could be even higher. Latest NHS digital figures, which are only released every three years, show around 2,565 people in Oxfordshire were registered visually impaired as of March. This included approximately 1,525 people who were completely or severely blind and a further 1,040 who were partially impaired. All figures were rounded to the nearest five. Sarah Gayton, Street Access Campaign Coordinator for the National Federation of the Blind, UK, said the BBC's recent cuts to local radio services hit visually impaired people harder as they rely on the radio for information, entertainment and companionship. Ofcom licensing guidance says BBC local radio stations must provide a certain number of hours of original content each year. But the corporation has sought to make savings in the face of high inflation and a license fee freeze, including plans for local radio stations to share more content and transmit fewer programmes unique to their areas. Ms Gayton said, We are not going away and all needs to be taken into account. Ofcom, the BBC and the government are not listening and the way blind and visually impaired people are being treated is abhorrent. We feel we have been left behind and are not being listened to. It is down to the BBC and the government to provide people with blind and visual impairments with local radio. A BBC spokesperson said, we are fully compliant with our Ofcom set operating licence requirements and will report on our compliance in July alongside our annual report. A Department for Culture, Media and Sports spokesperson said, we remain disappointed at the BBC's decision to reduce parts of its local output And ministers have met with BBC bosses to express concerns about these plans. The BBC must continue providing distinctive and genuinely local services that reflect and represent local communities. Ofcom will ensure the BBC is held to account in delivering these duties. Some 265 people in Oxfordshire were registered as visually impaired last year. Vivienne Francis, Chief Social Change Officer at the RNIB, said the organisation was surprised to see a decrease in the number of new registrations and expects the number of people impacted by sight loss is due to increase dramatically by by 2050 due to an increase in risk factors such as low income and ageing. Ms Francis said... The decrease points towards there being significant problems in the system whereby people are not routinely being registered.
2: Hello, this is Veronica. Three boys held in arson probe after house blaze. Three young boys have been arrested on suspicion of arson after a house fire. Emergency services rushed to Church Street in Appleford last Tuesday afternoon at around 3 pm following reports of a blaze. Thames Valley police officers attended the scene, along with six fire engines from Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service who extinguished the fire. Two 12 year old boys and an 11 year old boy have been arrested on suspicion of arson. They have been since been released on bail. There were no injuries from the roof fire that caused substantial building collapse, said the authorities. During the height of the fire, nearby residents were told by police to remain indoors and out of the smoke plume for their own health and welfare. A spokesman for the fire service said, Oxfordshire County Council's Fire and Rescue Service were called at 2.50pm on February 13th to a location in Appleford. Six fire engines attended along with support vehicles. There was a roof fire and substantial building collapse. The incident is being investigated by both Oxfordshire County Council's Fire and Rescue Service Fire Investigation Team and by the police. A firefighter told the Oxford Mail at the scene at around 2pm on Wednesday that they would remain in Church Street until at least Thursday. It has been described as an isolated incident and there is not believed to be a wider threat to the public. Detective Sergeant Nathan Adby, based at Abingdon Police Station, said, We are investigating this as an incident of arson at this time, but keeping an open mind while inquiries are ongoing to establish the circumstances of what happened. This is an isolated incident, and I don't believe there to be any wider community concern. Thames Valley Police Officers and Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue Service remain on the scene, so if you have any questions, feel free to stop them and ask. I would like to appeal to anybody who may have camera footage in the area or any information regarding this incident to please get in touch. One eyewitness, Jenny Alsop, told the Oxford Mail how she could see the smoke from her home in Sutton-Courtney. I saw fire engines and three ambulances go past my house, which is on the main road to Appleford, she added. I couldn't see the fire from my house, just the smoke, as I'm in the next village to Appleford, Sutton-Courtney i just witnessed the emergency services en route and a lot were going in that direction. A second eyewitness said, I saw loads of blue lights and an incident tent on the bend, but I was not close enough to say what happened.
3: Hello, this is Rob. New action plan compiled for viability of beacon site. Plans to assure the long-term viability of an arts and community centre in Wantage are set to be reviewed by the Vale of Whitehorse District Council's Cabinet. The Beacon Arts and Community Centre offers a range of activities including live performances, cinema screenings and various community events. It also provides a venue for hire for wellness activities, dance and sports groups, community sport as well as special interest gatherings. It serves as a designated safe space and hosts a community larder every week. A report is scheduled to be presented to the District Council's Cabinet which devises a path forward for the Arts Centre. The ambition is to maximise community engagement and financial efficacy, and to secure the centre's longevity. The 18-month action plan laid out in the report aims to enhance in-house operations. It involves the initiation of an arts and culture strategy, practical improvements in show programming, and focusing on stronger relationships with the community and local businesses. The plan will also look at improving signage, marketing, branding and mechanisms for securing extra grants and external funding. The potential reinstallation of a coffee shop and the pursuit of finances for substantial decarbonisation work will also be put under consideration. Local groups and organisations, some dealing with vulnerable sections of the society that already use the centre to host activities, will be promoted to gain more visibility within the community. Councillor Helen Pickhills, Cabinet Member for Community Health and Wellbeing at Vale of Whitehall's District Council said, Investing in arts, culture and heritage in our district continues to be important for us, as we know it contributes to quality of life and community well-being. Alongside the affordable uh, affordable shows it offers, the Beacon is also an indispensable resource for community activity. This is an exciting time for our arts and community centre. We have faced so many challenges over the last few years, with the pandemic and the ongoing cost of living crisis, but we are hopeful there are many opportunities for us to now grow and flourish. While financial efficiency is a focus for improvement, the Beacon provides a valuable public service and is part of our ongoing long-term commitment to invest in arts and culture for the well-being of our communities. Over the past four years, the Council has made several changes in the management and running of its arts service with the goal of reducing costs.
4: Hello, this is Nadine. New A34 junction scheme to shift traffic from town. A major scheme to add slip roads to a busy junction on the A34 will remove traffic from Abingdon Town Centre. The junction at Lodge Hill currently only has north-facing slip roads, but the scheme will add new south-facing slip roads, as well as making cycling and walking easier and safer in the area. Adding to the south-facing slip roads will remove traffic from the town centre as some drivers will no longer have to travel through it to access the A34 southbound at the Marcham interchange. Works for the scheme, which is being overseen by Oxfordshire County Council, is expected to start this summer. Oxford West and Abingdon MP Leila Moran said... Liberal Democrats have been campaigning for the construction of improvements to the Lodge Hill Junction on the A34 for 30 years. So it's incredibly exciting to hear that construction is finally set to begin this summer. I will be there to cheer when the first shovel hits the ground. She added the tireless campaigning from local Liberal Democrats got this over the line as we were determined to see local residents get the infrastructure they deserve. These improvements are a vital development, as they will reduce the need for people to drive through the town centre. This project should help unblock Abingdon's roads, allowing faster, safer, healthier journeys for the people of Oxford West and Abingdon. Last month, the County Council approved the inclusion of Homes England capital grant of £17 million towards the A34 Lodge Hill Scheme on its capital programme. The Council has secured funding for the scheme, scheme from several sources, including contributions from developers, the housing growth deal, and funding directly from the Department of Leveling Up Housing and Communities. Following a review of the scheme in summer 2022, a funding gap was identified. This is when Homes England, the UK's government's housing arm, awarded £17 million to the project. Abingdon South County Councillor Neil Fawcett said the plan to build south-facing slip roads at Lodge Hill dated back 23 years. He added that it was vital that the work was completed now as soon as as many new homes were being built in the area. A major house-building programme has been ongoing in the town in recent years, including the 900 homes on land north of Dunmore Road and 12 Acre Drive. Mr Fawcett said, We expect to see work start this summer at Lodge Hill. There is already some work being done at Peachcroft Roundabout. There could be some disruption while work takes place over the next two years. There is no extra capacity for traffic in the town centre and these new slip roads are crucial because it will mean fewer cars heading through town. It's more than 20 years since the need for this scheme was identified. The junction will also be widened as part of the scheme which will take two years to complete. The County Council spokesman said, the Council is currently finalising legal agreements with Homes England and an appointed contractor. Detail design on the scheme is due to commence immin- imminently and the Council will be publicising more details on an- anticipated construction
1: start dates in due course. Stained glass panels placed back in their Tudor home. The last of five 15th and 16th century stained glass panels has been reinstalled at a Tudor country house after undergoing conservation work. The small artworks at Greys Court in Rotherfield Greys boast bold heraldry designs and detailed paintings of everyday life. One scene showcases an instance where St. Ida is thrown from a castle-top window. A new exhibition of the panels, known as Wuppenscheiden, has opened in the library at Grey's Court. The display presents the narrative of how the Swiss stained glass arrived at Grey's Court, the restoration process, and the different stories portrayed on the panels. Katharina Robinson Gray's Court Senior Collections and House Officer said, I think these panels are beautiful. I see them as glass artworks that were meant to inspire and communicate. Visitors are always drawn to them and wonder about the stories they depict. This conservation work will allow visitors to get up close and personal with the panels whilst protecting them for the future. In 2019, it was discovered the panels suffered damage from weight-bearing and changing temperatures. The conservation process included removing the stained glass panels and replacing them in the structural framework with clear UV light-producing glass. The panels are now reinforced in new channel frames and a small gap around the panel allows for a gentle flow of air. The conservation work was undertaken by Holywell Glass, who specialise in the conservation, restoration and design of stained glass. Claire Mardall, stained stained glass painter and conservator at Holywell Glass, added, What I really like about these decorative residential panels is the details. They have lovely painting all over, But when you look in the background, you see little scenes of dogs, castles, people walking in the woods. The panels were placed in the landing window on the staircase by Sir Felix Brunner, who brought Gray's Court in 1937.
2: Firms invited to apprenticeship week by UTC. College students found out more about apprenticeships meeting potential employers. University Technical College, UTC, Oxfordshire in Didcot, which specialises in engineering and science, put its typical timetable to one side to give students a chance to learn about opportunities for National Apprenticeship Week. Various organisations took part, including the Science and Technology Facilities Council, RAF, National Grid, Tokamak Energy, Milestone Infrastructure, MACE, Network Rail, Vertex, Nuclear Waste Services and BMW Group. Many representatives for current apprentices, some UTC graduates. Apprenticeship uptake by UTC graduates is three times higher than for traditional school leavers, at 19% versus 6%. Out of the UTC leavers opting for apprenticeships, 63% are higher or degree level. UTC Oxfordshire alumnus Henry ledbetter Hart, a project manager apprentice at Lockheed Martin, said, I went into my apprenticeship knowing I was going to be faced with some massive challenges, the most prominent being that I had to move out of home for work. However, having been in my apprenticeship and accommodation for five months now, I know I made the right choice. I have been exposed to so many areas of the business and experienced so much in such a little amount of time.
3: Demands for action over treacherous streetlights. Safety concerns around street lighting in the Wantage area has led councillors and residents to call for enhancements and improved provision. The areas primarily impacted are the A417 Shallow Road, with eight streetlights not in use, Childry Way, Sarriac Avenue and Letcombe Hill, which have been identified as having poor lighting, and West Shallow, Sparsehulk and Kingston Lyle, the latter three having no street lighting. Ridgeway Ward District Councillor Dr Paul Barrow and other residents have reported these outages and their concerns to Oxfordshire County Council via Fix My Street. Dr Barrow said, We were unsure if the developers had responsibility for the outage along the A417 opposite the crest Nicholson site, but it's on the highway for sure. The lights haven't been functional since 2021, we think, when they were installed. This is a serious safety issue for residents walking at night. It's so dark for people in some of these areas, they can't even see where they're going. It's also an issue of risk management that needs to be addressed urgently. We're pushing to get adequate street lighting. East Shadow Parish Council has raised this as an item on the agenda, and it may be that the parish council has to pay for them. Dr. Barrow's report of Childery Ways Poor Lighting, logged in via Fix My Street, reads, The path is terribly dark at night, and on this stretch, and would benefit tremendously from an additional lighting. The path is becoming more and more treacherous to walk at night as it's pitch black, very uneven due to roots lifting the tarmac, potholes and edges crumbling. Will it take someone breaking a leg before any action on the poor lighting of this path will be taken? Dr. Barrow also shared an annotated map of areas without street lighting or with poor coverage via his Facebook page, stating, It's been on my Fix My Street more than once. But Oxfordshire County Council says they don't have funds to install additional lighting. And please ask the parish council or see whether there's a recognised safety issue, in which case ask Thames Valley Police. The county council spokesman said, The eight columns along the A417 are new columns which are installed as part of the Crest-Nicholson-Fullers site. These will be operational as soon as the work is completed by the developer. There are no plans for additional street lighting in Childry Way, Sarriac Avenue or Letcombe Hill. There is already existing street lighting in these areas. On lighting for the footpaths, footpath surface and overhanging trees, the spokesperson added, This is a public right-of-way rather than a public highway, so we would not be able to provide any additional lighting. New street lighting will be approved on a site-by-site assessment as to whether it is essential, justified and deemed to be necessary on grounds of public safety. County spots
4: named nation's best places to live. Three places in Oxfordshire have been named among the best places to live in the country. London-based property finder company, Garrington, has put together a list of the most desirable places to live in England and Wales in 2024. The top 20 was whittled down after more than 140 a uh, 140 cities sorry 1400 cities towns and villages were scored across England and Wales by a range of criteria they were natural beauty flood risk well-being heritage schools and employment plus value for money china ranked 20th with an average family home costing 691,306 according to the research. One place higher was Wallingford with an average family home setting you back with eight hundred and twelve, eight hundred and eighty-one thousand. and the highest place, Oxfordshire town is Henley in 10th place. The average cost of a family home in Henley is 950,580. The average scores were decided on by proximity to open space, national parks, and areas of outstanding natural beauty. Also included in this scoring system were numbers of listed and period homes, air quality, crime figures, and the percentage of homes with their closest proximity to primary schools ranked outstanding by o- Oxstead. The analysis included a total of 1,429 locations, including 52 with a population of more than 200,000, 92 larger towns with a population between 75. Uh, thousand and 200,000, 353 medium towns with a population between 20,000 and 75,000, <clears> and 921 small towns or large villages with a population between 5,000 and 20,000.
1: Record number of new businesses. More new businesses were established in Oxfordshire during 2023 than in any previous year. 5,446 new enterprises were registered last year, reflecting a 12.5% growth compared to 2022. This surge increases the county's company count to an unprecedented 48,030. The statistics come from the Informed Direct Review of Company Formations, based on data from Companies House and Britain's Office for National Statistics. Among the county's districts, Cherwell took top spot with 1,388 new businesses. Oxford and South Oxfordshire trailed closely behind with 1,254 and 1,072 businesses respectively. John Korchak, Managing Director at Inform Direct, said, It is excellent news that Oxfordshire can celebrate a record year for new company formations during 2023. The year undoubtedly presented a range of challenges for business, including tepid predictions of economic growth, volatility in energy prices, and uncertainty from world events. However, the formation figures demonstrate very clearly that Oxfordshire entrepreneurs remain undeterred and pursued their ambitions to establish new ventures. A rise in the number of new companies was also observed nationwide, with 900,006 new formations, an 11.8% increase from 2022, bringing the number of UK companies to 5 million four hundred and seventy six thousand seven hundred and seventy two. Shock after emergency services called to church.
2: Emergency services were called to a parish church after reports of a man on the roof. Police, fire and ambulance crews gathered at St Mary Lamore Church in Wallingford on Wednesday evening waiting for around three hours, after which the man was persuaded to safely descend. It is understood building work has been taking place at the church, which may have allowed the man to climb onto its roof. Police dog handlers were seen at the scene at 5pm. A spokesman for Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue confirmed crews were called to the church at 6.22pm, but were not directly involved in resolving the incident. One eyewitness, Craig Simpson, said, Police, ambulance and fire crews went in the church up to the belfry and an ambulance took a stretcher into the church. I spoke to some people next to the church and they told me someone had climbed the belfry. They also closed the town off for a short period. The police apparently were really good and managed to talk him down without a terrible incident. The roof had not collapsed as was speculated by some people. Another shop owner, who asked to remain anonymous, said, It was a shock. I did wonder what was happening, especially with the police dogs. There was a lot of police. My shop is opposite the church. I didn't see anyone in the roof, but it doesn't mean that there wasn't someone. There were four or five police cars, a fire engine, an ambulance special response unit and dog handlers. Edward Simpson, a worker at Just Trading at Wallingford, said, No one at the store saw it. I was in the town centre, but I was indoors at the Corn Exchange, so the first I knew was when people came inside saying something had happened at the church. It was very much of a surprise to hear it. You never expect to see that many emergency service vehicles in the middle of the town all in one go. The Diocese of Oxford has said it would not comment on this incident.
3: Spec Savers opens in new premises. A new shop for opticians is set to open in Wantage later this week. Specsavers will move into a new premise at the former m co store in the High Street in Wantage. Its current store at Grove Street closed on Sunday, February 18th, with the new store opening its doors on Saturday, February 24th. The relocation comes on the back of increased demand for the new premises at more than double the size of the current ones. This will enable the optical retail chain to expand its optical and audiology, audiology offerings, The new expanded store will have seven testing rooms, which includes a dedicated audiology room and a new contact lens space. New equipment has also been installed throughout, including an optical coherence tomography machine. This technology allows the optometrist to take a 3D image of the back of your eye to help spot serious eye conditions, including glaucoma, up to four years earlier than with older technology. Store director at Specsavers Wantage, Nikki Rutter, said, We're really looking forward to opening our doors to the new store and can't wait to welcome in customers old and new. After several years in our current location, we really had outgrown it. So moving to our new site with so much more space is just what we need. Investment has also meant local recruitment with additional colleagues taken on board.
4: On this day, 1910, Sir. Douglas Bader, Second World War fighter pilot, was born. Despite losing both legs, he continued to fly and is regarded as a hero of the Battle of Britain. Last year, supermarkets began rationing fresh produce, including tomatoes and peppers, after bad weather in southern Europe caused shortages. In history, 1437, James I, King of Scotland, was assassinated by a group of dissident nobles led by Sir Robert Graham. In 1595, Robert Southwell, English poet and Jesuit martyr, was hanged, drawn and quartered at Tyburn. On this day, 1613, Michael Romanoff, Romanoff was elected Tsar of Russia. Founding the House of Romanoff, which ruled until the Revolution in March 1917. 1849, Britain annexed the Punjab at the end of the Second Sikh War. 1952, identity cards were abolished in Britain. 1965, American black Muslim leader Malcolm X was shot dead while addressing a meeting in New York. And in 1988, the grave of Boeticea, the warrior queen who fought the Romans almost 2,000 years ago, was located by archaeologists under Platform 8 at King's Cross Railway Station.
0: So on the notice board this week, and following on from what happened on this day... Did you know scientists are celebrating the 200th anniversary of the first formal naming of a dinosaur? Oxford's first reader in geology, William Buckland, described the species Megalosaurus to the Geological Society on the 21st of February 1824. His paper was based on fossils discovered at Stonesfield in Oxfordshire, which had been collected over several decades. Dr. Emma Nichols from Oxford's Museum of Natural History said large fossilized bones found around the world were previously thought to come from clumsy overgrown lizards, elephants or even giant humans. She said the description of Megalosaurus introduced us to a new group of organisms and inevitably reframed our understanding of the history of life on earth. We know now that these beloved reptiles were a hugely diverse and highly successful group of animals that persisted for at least 220 million years and ruled the globe. Buckland's 1824 paper was the culmination of the work of several scholars who had already named Megalosaurus and other species. In his lecture, he described bones from separate individuals of an enormous fossil animal with a length exceeding 40 feet and a bulk equal to that of an elephant and he incorrectly thought it walked on all fours and was probably amphibious. Megalosaurus, meaning great lizard, was one of the largest carnivores of the Middle Jurassic era, living about 168 million years ago, and it was one of the three species for which the overarching term Dinosauria was later coined in 1842 by the anatomist Richard Owen. The concept was so popular that Charles Dickens' novel, Bleak House, written in 1852, opened with a description of a metaphorical Megalosaurus, 40 feet long or so, waddling like an elephantine lizard through muddy London streets. The museum is marking his work with an exhibition later this year. So we have a few more announcements. In the week beginning 16th of March, there'll be a program of science-based events run by ATOM in Abingdon. These will include talks, for example, about vaccinations and COVID, and also events for children. For more information, check with the library or the ATOM website. We continue with a story about a local space firm's involvement with a moon mission,
1: Space firm makes landing sensors for moon mission A moon lander with technology built in Oxfordshire has successfully launched 24 hours after its flight was delayed due to fuel issues The Nova Sea Odysseus lander built by Texas-based spaceflight company Intuitive Machines IM could become the first private mission called IM-1 to land intact on the lunar surface. MDA UK, a Canadian space technology company with offices in Harwell near Didcot, developed landing sensors for the mission and two further launches planned for later in the year. Funding came from the UK Space Agency. The agency has spent £3.4 million spread across these three missions as part of its partnership with MDA UK. The Moonlander lifted off at 6:05 a.m. UK time on Thursday, February the 15th, on SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket from Cape Canaveral in Florida. SpaceX posted SpaceX posted on X, formerly Twitter. Intuitive Machines co-founder and chief executive Steve Altimus said There have been a lot of sleepless nights getting ready for this in the minutes before liftoff. The company's vice president of Lunar Access, Trent Martin, was responsible for the countdown as the launch went off on time. He said, Godspeed Odysseus, now let's go make history. Applause could be heard from the control room as the spacecraft achieved second stage engine cutoff. The successful launch comes one month after another U.S. spacecraft, Peregrine, failed to touch down following a fuel leak. The failure of Peregrine, operated by U.S. company Astrobotic, marked the third time a private company had been unable to achieve a soft landing on the lunar surface. The Lander, built by Israel's space L.I., Sorry, Space IL crashed during descent in 2019, while the Hakuta R M1 lander from Japanese company iSpace was destroyed while attempting to land in April last year. Odysseus would be the first US moon landing since the final mission of the Apollo program Apollo 17 more than 50 years ago. It is part of NASA's Commercial Lunar Payload Services Initiative, which aims to involve commercial companies in the exploration of the Moon as the Space Agency focuses on getting astronauts back there through its Artemis program. If all goes to plan, Odysseus could attempt a lunar landing on February twenty-second. The landing site will be at Malapert A, a crater near the Moon's south pole. Once it is on the surface, Odysseus will operate for roughly two weeks, or one lunar day. On board the lander are 12 payloads, which includes a NASA instrument known as SCALPS, stereo cameras for lunar plume surface studies, a four-camera system which aims to capture Odysseus' descent to the lunar surface. The lander will also be carrying a sculpture called Moon Phases, by American artist Jeff Coons.
2: School's new boathouse completed. The construction of a boathouse for a girls' school in Headington has been completed. Headington School's rowing team will benefit from two story Maddie Moorings boathouse set on the River Thames in Long Whitnam, south of Abingdon. It offers a storage area capable of housing 50 rowing boats a multi-use training room, and welfare facilities. Ian Batchelor, contracts manager at Stepnell, who built the boathouse, said, Maddy Mooring's boathouse has been an intricate project to provide modern and sustainable rowing facilities. The build is equally world-class in specification, but also built with methods and materials of construction that were not destructive to the local biodiversity during the build, nor will be in the long term to the ecosystem along the river. With the school being one of the UK's top educational institutions for rowing, we are proud to have used our leisure expertise to deliver sporting infrastructure that will contribute significant lasting value to the school's future successes. The boathouse, elevated on 60 steel columns, features an indoor communal area with a balcony overseeing the Thames for spectators. Students and staff can access boats through three double doors leading up to a staircase designed and made by the firm's joinery team.
3: New vape store, scrutiny over planning permission. A new vape store which has appeared in Wantage is under scrutiny as councillors question the lack of a planning application. Wantage Vape Zone opened in the marketplace earlier this month. Town Councillor Eric Johnson said the authority reported the store to enforcement when it first appeared and concerned people in the town have spoken against it. A council spokesman said, Wantage Town Council has written to the Vale of Whitehall's District Council planning enforcement team regarding the illuminated sign on this new shop on the junction of Newbury Street and Market Square as no planning application has been submitted for it. Wantage Town Council seeks to maintain the historic nature of the town and we will work with the shop owners to help achieve this. Policy 4 of our Emerging Neighbourhood Plan states specifically on shop signs, efforts should reflect the historic town centre and again reflect the historic character and be made of wood and not illuminated. However, neither the Wantage Town Council nor the Vale of Whitehorse District Council has any power to prevent vape shops opening. This can only be done. By central government, we urge people to contact their MP, asking them to bring the restriction uh, to this type of, par- by type of shop th- before Parliament. The store's appearance has drawn local concern. Jane Hanna, Wantage and Grove County Councillor and Chairwoman of the Oxfordshire Joint Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee, said... Vaping has contributed to 50,000 to 70,000 fewer smokers per year in the UK, but the rise in non-smoking children taking up vapes, vapes has skyrocketed. This is with the colourful packaging and sweet flavours seen as appealing to children, with single-use kits being as easy as well as harmful, uh, being easy as well as harmful to the environment. The Oxfordshire County Council Health Overview and Scrutiny Committee reviewed the evidence in April 2023 and heard the teenagers mention vaping as one of their top mental health concerns. The new shop in Wantage Marketplace with its bright yellow illuminated sign and bright vapes alongside colourful candies and drinks is a serious concern. I have alerted the Director of Health and the Health Committee last week and I have requested Trading Standards, which is doing work to tackle unregulated products, and underage sales to investigate.
4: Scheme Improves Job Prospects A scheme designed to help young people started in their careers is proving a success with employers such as chicken restaurant Nando's praising its work. The Powerhouse Pathway, a partnership between Didcot charity SOFIA, South Oxfordshire Food and Education Alliance, The Didcot Powerhouse Fund and local businesses was founded in September to address a labour shortage in entry-level roles for young people aged 16 and over in fields including catering, office administration, warehousing and cleaning. Sophia works closely with employers to identify a suitable young person for each role. The chosen individual is then offered a paid, part-time, one-year contract for three days per week, working an additional two days at SOFIA. During this time, they are provided with a tailored learning programme covering employability skills and GCSE retakes where necessary. Throughout their contract, they will receive full support from SOFIA. The aim of the powerhouse pathway is to offer its participants progression. The employer may propose a permanent contract or apprenticeship at the end of the initial contract. Nando's in Didcot was an early participant in the scheme. Ria Polokin floyd the pre-apprentice programme manager at Sophia said, Nando's has been such a fantastic partner for our powerhouse pathways programme. From their central employability team to the individual restaurant managers and staff, everyone is fully invested in working with us and giving our disadvantaged young people the opportunity to develop their employability skills and, more crucially, build their confidence. One of the pre-apprentices at Nando's in the Powerhouse Pathways Programme, Joe Black, said... Working for Nando's is so much fun, and my team is so supported, we all look out for each other. One of the best bits of my job is that you get a free meal with every shift you work, and after five years, we all get a sabbatical. Can't wait for that. I'm enjoying learning new things and progressing into new roles at Nando's. I wouldn't be doing any of this without Sophia and Pathways. I'm so grateful for everything they do. Local secondary schools have praised the Powerhouse Pathway for providing an appealing route into employment for their students. Elizabeth Paris, the chair of the Powerhouse Fund, said, The aspiration for the Didcot Powerhouse Fund is to create more links between business and the community than just funding. Powerhouse Pathways is just such an example and directly responds to concerns raised by local employers about the difficulty of recruiting locally for entry-level roles. More information about the scheme is available
1: on the Didcot Powerhouse Fund's website. Recycling Pilot Scheme at Selected Boots Stores Boots has initiated a new recycling pilot scheme in more than 100 of its stores in London and South East England, including nine locations in Oxfordshire. Shoppers can now dispose of their used blister packs, highly unrecyclable packaging commonly used for medicines and vitamins in specially assigned bins at participating Boots stores. The retailer's plan extends the existing Recycle at Boots program, which offers rewards to customers for returning empty health and beauty product containers. Boots Advantage card holders will gain 150 points once they recycle 15 empty blister packs and spend at least £10 in store. The company aims to expand the initiative to more locations countrywide within the coming year. The stores offering the services in Oxfordshire are Chipping Norton High Street, Bicester Shopping Park, Oxford Cowley Retail Park, Whitney High Street, Abingdon Berry Street, Oxford Headington, Wantage Marketplace, Oxford Summertown and Bicester Sheep Street. Natalie Gourlay, Head of Environmental Social Governments at Boots, said, At Boots, we want to make it easy for our customers to make sustainable choices for a healthy planet from the products they buy to how they dispose of the packaging once they have used them customers can now simply drop off their empty blister packs of boots with the assurance that the materials will be given a second life and get rewarded for it too just like they can when they drop off other hard to recycle empties through recycle at boots we will be taking the learnings of this initial pilot on board as we look to roll out the scheme more widely within the next year.
2: HIF1 Action Group puts its case against road scheme. Members of the Oxfordshire Roads Action Alliance, ORAA, have started to make their case against the HIF1 road scheme at its public inquiry, which started this week. The HIF1 would be the largest road scheme in Oxfordshire, since the M40 was built, providing another link from the A34 to Oxford to Reading Road north of Didcot, The public inquiry is taking place at B House in Milton Park and will sit for 22 days across a 12-week period. The Oxfordshire Roads Action Alliance says the scheme would open up land in the Greenbelt for housing. In July 2023, Oxfordshire County Council's Planning Committee rejected the plan. However, the county council's cabinet continues to push it forward, despite not all county councillors having declared support. The Oxfordshire Road Action Alliance believes the cabinet will only present evidence in support of the application. It also believes the cabinet will ignore concerns raised at the July meeting, despite its local transport policy stating new roads are not a sustainable long-term solution for Oxfordshire's transport network. Primary opposition comes from the Road Action Alliance, Impacted Parish Councils and other voluntary groups. More than £20,000 has been raised by concerned groups to fight the Inquiry. Several arguments the Road Action Alliance and others plan to present at the Inquiry include damage to the Greenbelt in the section of the proposed road north of the Thames and damage to the landscape in four major areas, including Appleford and Clifton-Hamden. Costs and viability remain a major concern for those opposing the road. The Road Action Alliance argues, Since its inception in 2014, the costs of the HIF1 scheme have increased by more than a quarter to £296 million. Up to £366 million may be required to build this road. The budgeted figures for inflation are unrealistically low. On the current figures, Oxfordshire County Council will need to borrow over thirty million pounds to supplement government and other funding, but this figure could rise significantly. Richard Taplin of Oxfordshire's Planning Group, POETS, said the County Council has a strange belief that to avoid congestion you build more and bigger roads, when experience shows this simply creates more congestion. Greg O'Brien of Appleford Parish Council said The village of Appleford faces a real threat to its future, a massive bridge being built close to people's homes and a huge increase in noise and pollution. Chris Church of Oxford Friends of the Earth added, The claim that this will solve Didcot's traffic problems is laughable. A new road, more pollution, more traffic, more housing in remote areas will mean another road plan and it will all start again. Councillor Judy Roberts Cabinet Member for Infrastructure and Development Strategy said, Oxfordshire County Council is committed to the Didcot and surrounding areas' major infrastructure scheme and will be presenting evidence in support of its planning application for the scheme. If approved, the project would transform travel in the Didcot area for current and future residents as well as commuters. The project will help accommodate for planned growth.
3: Footballer ready for challenge of 100 miles of running. A boy whose grandmother recovered from cancer with the support of Macmillan nurses is running 100 miles in May to raise funds for the charity. Louis McIntosh, who plays for Sutton Courtney's under-11s football team, will be completing the 100 miles in May challenge alongside his mum, Gemma McIntosh. They have set a fundraising target of £1,000 and have received £875 in donations so far. Mr. McIntosh's nan, Sandra, is now cancer-free and in recovery after being diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. She underwent surgery with the NHS before receiving support from Macmillan nurses. Sutton Courtney said, We're really proud of you, Louis, and if anyone can spare even £1, I know he would be extremely grateful. Good luck and we can't wait to follow your progress through May. We know you'll smash it. Donations can be made via Just Giving page. Macmillan Cancer Support provides a range of services to support people who are suffering and recovering from cancer, including offering financial, physical and emotional support. They are 98% funded by voluntary donations, which goes towards running public campaigns and influencing policies on cancer across the UK. They also provide healthcare professionals with up-to-date information, tools and training.
4: Participants wanted for BBC TV show. A TV show is looking for Oxfordshire families or shared households who need a hand decluttering and organising their home. BBC One's Sort Your Life Out features Stacey Solomon and her crew organiser, Dilly, Carpenter Rob, and cleaner Ewan, asking six families to sort their lives out in a week. And while the families are letting go of half their belongings, the team get to know the stories behind the clutter. There are often big emotional moments as the family go through their most treasured items and make difficult decisions about what to let go of their past and present. When each family is left with only the must-keep items, key sentimental pieces are upcycled before the home is redecorated and repurposed, ready for the reveals. The show is looking for families or shared households in Oxfordshire to take part in a new series and are keen to speak to people from all over the walks of life with varying backgrounds and experiences that could potentially benefit from the experience. Those from often underrepresented groups and backgrounds are particularly sought after. Ms. Solomon said, "'Together we create smart storage solutions, organize the mess, "'and let go of belongings that are holding them back.'"
1: Visitors bring past to life with Archaeology Festival. Visitors to the Earth Trust got hands-on bringing the past to life last weekend at an archaeological festival of discovery. From Roman kitchen utensils to Iron Age coins, a pop-up display provided the opportunity to explore 10,000 objects that have been uncovered at Earth Trust on Saturday and Sunday. Visitors also heard from expert speakers, sparked creativity in ancient pottery classes, and enjoyed getting hands-on and learning to examine ancient evidence in practical workshops with experts. Over both days, the history of Wittenham Clumps was explored, with Saturday's themes being Bones and Burials and Crafts and Creativity, and Sunday's themes being Amazing Animals and Ancient Artifacts. Speakers included Hannah Russ, a zoo archaeologist, a regular regular presenter on Channel 4's The Great British Dig, osteoarchaeologist Malin Holst, Bioarchaeologist Jordi Ruiz Ventura and Roman pottery specialist David Griffiths.
2: Ingenious Copper's method of catching speeding Edwardians. Speed limits have been much in the local news recently, but this is by no means a new issue. Motor cars made their first appearance in Wallingford in the late 1890s when the legal speed limit set in 1896 was 12 miles per hour in populated areas, raised from the former 2 miles per hour. In 1902, policeman PC Norris received several complaints that motor cars were driving at excessive speeds, so he devised a way to test the speed of any car entering the town along the Reading Road. Using a tape measure, he and a fellow constable Carefully marked out a quarter of a mile, then P.C. Norris used the second hand on his personal watch to time how long it took the car to travel the distance. His ingenuity and diligence led to a court case which was fully reported in the Berkshire Chronicle on July 26, 1902. John R. Hargreaves was summoned for driving a motor car at a rate exceeding 12 miles an hour on June 30th. The defendant didn't appear in court, but was represented by G.H. Slade, a Wallingford solicitor. P.C. Norris, the witness, reported that At ten minutes past three, he saw a motor car coming towards Wallingford from the direction of Molesford. The car raised a lot of dust. He timed it over the measured quarter of a mile, and it covered the distance in just 30 seconds, which was equal to 30 miles an hour. Witness signalled to the driver to stop and he did so within 50 yards. Witness said to the defendant, You are driving your car much too fast, sir. To which he replied, I cannot see how you can judge the rate of speed from dust. Having explained how he had measured the speed, P.C. Norris then cautioned the defendant to go slower through the town. A second witness, Jane Parsons of Sotwell, was called. She had been waiting in a pony and trap outside a house in Windbrook and said she had never seen a motor car go faster, and that it had made a dreadful dust. For the defendant, Mr Slade pointed out that it was perfectly under control, and the only horse it passed had not been frightened, and no accident had been caused. The excuse was not enough. Mr Hargreaves was fined a total of £5.14.06 fourteen shillings, and six pence costs, the equivalent today of about £878.00. Presumably, as the owner of an expensive vehicle, he had enough to pay. Wallingford learned to accept the coming of the car. In 1908, R. and H. Wilder went into the motor business, supplying cars, accessories, tyres and spare parts, and doing repairs that often involved making parts from solid metal. They also offered driving lessons. George Dell had a cycle shop and garage in the High Street, and later in St. Mary's Street, where in 1913 he was selling a Ford runabout for £135, about £19,500 today. Speeding is still all too common, but less cumbersome to prove than the methods of the ingenious P.C. Norris. We await the result of a recent public consultation, but much of Wallingford seems likely soon to have a limit of 20 miles per hour, just 8 miles per hour more than in 1902.
3: Strategy to help enhance the future of Cornerstone. Plans are being prepared to secure a promising future for Cornerstone Arts Centre in Didcot. A report has been put together for South Oxford District Council's Cabinet, establishing strategies to maximise its community benefit and support its long-term viability. The report outlines an 18-month action plan dedicated to enhancing internal operations. It includes the introduction of an arts and culture strategy alongside practical measures such as new show programming, forging closer relationships with the community and local businesses, and further presentation of the centre through improved signage, marketing and branding. Maggie Filipova-Rivers, Cabinet Member for Community Wellbeing, said, Arts, culture and heritage play an important part in improving the quality of life, community well-being and social connection. Our action plan shows our commitment to securing an even brighter and exciting future for Cornerstone Arts Centre. Whilst financial efficiency is a focus for improvement, the Arts Centre is a valuable public service and part of our ongoing long-term commitment to investing in arts and culture for the well-being of of our communities. Once our action plan is embedded, we can turn our attention to the longer-term options, but for now, we have our sights set on some very clear goals to get us where we need to be.
4: Easter Egg Appeal as Treat for Sick Children A charity in Didcot has launched its fourth Easter Egg Appeal to bring smiles to children and their families in hospital. Play to Give is looking to collect Easter eggs to deliver to the Oxford Children's Hospital. Siblings and families in the NCU at the John Radcliffe Hospital via SSNAP support for the sick, newborn and their parents. The charity, founded by Andy Baker from the town, will be welcoming donations until March the 25th. An appeal first launched by the charity in 2020, Play to Give, drives last year, saw a record of 700 eggs donated. The group said, we hope to collect as many eggs as possible again, so that, as well as children and families in hospital, we can also deliver the cheer, joy, and smiles of chocolate treats to Viking House in Oxford and to Helen and Douglas House, Cornerstones Arts Centre, Coronet Bingo Hall, and Busy Bees Cafe in all in in Didcot, and the Lambourne on Abingdon Business Park have all been confirmed as drop-offs points, with several more which can be found on online. People can also donate online with money raised used by be- to buy Easter eggs, which will be delivered by the bunny on March the 26th.
0: That is the last news item for this week. I thank the Herald and other local sources for the items I've used and I thank
1: all our volunteers for their time. Goodbye and thank you for listening.